Do you wanna know the meaning of life? Listen to my perils and strife. Welcome all my friends and foes. This is easy knows. Welcome to Sea Bleasy Knows. I'm the <laughs> aforementioned Sea Bleasy, and I'm the one that knows. Welcome, uh, everybody. Welcome, Jerome Burns. <sighs> Guten Tag. Where are you, Jerome? I'm in Germany. Where in Germany? Can you pronounce it? Because I don't know how to pronounce it. Cologne. It's just Cologne. I think it's well. It's the Cologne, but that's probably oh, okay. awful pronunciation. <laughs> well, <laughs> certainly better than mine. We'll see. Your German listeners can tear me apart. Yeah, all of them for sure. So you don't know what we're talking about today yet. Oh, yet. And that's by design. Surpresa. Because we've talked about this topic before and just in our personal lives. Um, but I want to come to it from a different angle. So this is this is a different, different side of this. And I want to start in the first segment today. I'm just going to start to talk to you about this weird thing that I just learned about that exists called the International Organization for Standardization. Have you ever heard of that? No. Okay, good. I'm really curious where this is gonna, where you're coming out with this. Where it's all gonna wrap up. So I, I'll say this much. I bought a standard today. What does that mean? So there's a thing you can do with, it's called the ISO, even though that's not the order of the Names, International Organization for Standardization, but it's ISO. Jeez. Okay. Rather than iOS, because maybe they knew that's the iPhone operating system now. It's good foresight. So this is an organization that comes up with like what we might call like best practices for industries. And that's their whole purpose. Whoa. So they get like experts in the field to like come together and have all sorts of meetings to come up with like the standard of literally everything you can think of just everything they have thousands and thousands of standards all right none of this is clicking right now but keep going no no it won't for a while so like an example of a standard that they're responsible for is like the phone wi-fi so if you go to germany Mm -hmm. or you're in america your wi-fi works with your phone right it's standard like system that they've decided and they decided before that right now they're they're coming up with a standard for um 5g internet the next one Mm -hmm. and so there's all these companies that are like vying for that 5g to be the standard because whatever the standard is all of the industries have to conform to that standard if they want to play on an international scale so right now they're saying like oh ours is the best this is our this is what 5g should be Mm -hmm. and then once the standard is set the standard's set and You don't have to follow the standard, but everybody else probably will. And so in order to like have your technology work with everybody else's. You can't be left behind. The only one not doing it. Right. Now, uh, the first, you want to hear the first standard they ever set? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, they met in like 1946. They began in like 1947. This was the first organization, like they started having meetings. 1951, ISO number one was the temperature to measure lengths. What? (laughs) It's a standard. So if you measure lengths in industry, so if you're measuring like the length of a metal tube, right? Yeah, yeah. 
the temperature of the room changes the length of that tube. I mean, we know from bra- being oh, brass right. players, like cool. the length of that tube will change depending on the temperature, right? All right. And if you have like a giant metal beam, that'll change a lot. And so they decided oh, wow. 20 degrees Celsius is the standard that you have to have your temperature of your room in order to measure your stuff. <laughs> that's insane. So that's number one. That was the first standard. They were like, okay. And they, they met and that's what it was. Quick, um, quick yeah. aside, do they have formulas for that? So yeah, they have all sorts of stuff to make sure that it's within this margin of error. Mm-hmm. And if you buy the standard, the PDF of the standard now, I mean, back then I don't know what they did, but uh, it shows you like basically protocol to figure this out. Uh, in 1960, they have ISO number 31, which is the International System of Units. This is, now, this is what I call music. This is what I oh, call standards. Oh, dude, we're getting in it. So, International System of Units, they defined, like, in scientific measurements, temperature will be in Celsius, and this is what that means, and this is what it's compared to. They said, uh, like, metric, so we, like, length in meters, and time in seconds and it's it's precisely what that means and it says like like the length of time that a second is it defines it so Mm. across the board you go and like obviously seconds had been figured out by the 60s but it is now defining these as like the scientific standard and if you're gonna talk about any of these scientifically and that's why like we didn't conform to that in America with the metric mm-hmm. system or you know Celsius, but in any scientific journal or anything, it's in metric and it's Celsius because that's the scientific consensus. Um, like the International Space Station, all these these governments working together, they have these standards that are just set. These are the things you do, and this is how you do it, and this is the organization that does that. Okay, all right. I think I'm with you. Uh, a couple other like kind of interesting things I learned about them. Uh, they won a bunch of Emmys for what? So they standardized and came up with the video format H two sixty four, which is the video format that we edit all of our YouTube videos in. And they won an Emmy because it's it. They they literally like had all these scientists come in and figure out this standard video format. It's this video format that is super fast streaming, and it also doesn't really lose. HD content quality. So it it basically has this really, really compressed file that is really high quality audio and video. And so they won an Emmy in, uh, I don't remember, I think it was 2008, and then they won another one in 2018 for coming up with these video formats. All right. Okay. Now, that all kind of makes sense, right? Because you're like, okay, these are tangible things that you're just saying, like, this is the standard. Yeah, Got yeah. it, right? Video format, temperature. Got it. You got it, right? Makes sense. They also have what they call family of standards. And you can purchase a whole bunch of standards together in a pack. And they have one like that came out in 2016, which is called anti-bribery standards. Oh, my God. What? They have like some for uh, how to run fair elections. Ooh. Yeah. And so it's literally they have these experts come in and figure out like the best practices for running governments and doing all sorts of stuff Uh like food and drug administration stuff, which is like, you know, how to make sure your restaurant is run cleanly. And uh, yeah, yeah. they have standards for all that and you can purchase them. It's basically, if you want to like say run a fair election, this is the best practices. This is how to do it. And you could just, you know, buy 
the the how to run a free fair election. <laughs> so it's how to run a fair election, but not how to win an election fairly. Not how to win an election. Ah. No, this is the standard of how to run these like organizations or industries and all that. So, is that the one you bought? No, I bought ISO number sixteen, which came out in nineteen seventy five. I'm so excited! <laughs> I'm so excited right now. <laughs> I can see it in your face. I'm so excited. ISO it, number sixteen. Number sixteen, nineteen seventy five. Uh, it was 38 Swiss francs. For you to buy or to make? Yeah, for me to buy. Francs. What is that? In? Yeah. What is? I think it was, it was like one to one. It was oh, okay, 38 okay. bucks, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's called ISO number 16, Acoustics Standard Tuning Frequency. Oh, man. 1975. 1975. All right. I'm going to read you the four requirements for the standard set by the International Organization for Standardization. The four requirements for the standard tuning frequency. Yes. Okay, ready? It's pretty simple, but they kind of all talk about the same thing. Number one, the standard tuning frequency is the frequency for the note A and the treble stave... All right. And shall be, what do you think? <laughs> what do I think? What do I want it to be? What do you think it is? You know. What is it? Is it A440? It is 440 hertz. Cool. Okay. Number two, the frequency shall be observed as closely as possible when tuning musical instruments. So if you want to follow this standard, you got to go for it. And then number three, tuning and retuning shall be affected with the aid of instruments producing the standard tuning frequency within an accuracy of plus or minus 0.5 hertz or enabling the frequency of musical sounds to be measured at the same accuracy. 0.5 hertz. Yeah. That's so, tight. like, if you're tuning or retuning, like, this is the margin of error that we are allowing for you to still be following this uh, standard. So... It's not saying you have to be exact, but you have to be pretty darn close. And then number four, for manufacturers, it says musical instruments shall be so constructed that under the temperature, remember the temperature, yeah, yeah, 20 degrees Celsius, and other working conditions specified by the manufacturer, they are capable of being tuned in accordance with the standard frequency of 440 hertz. Uh, to this end, instrument manufacturers may find it desirable to use tuning devices having an accuracy equal to or better than plus or minus 0.25 hertz. So even more accurate if you're manufacturing the instruments. All right. So there it is. Now, I will say that the ISO, they're not the ones who wrote the standard, but they adopted it. There was mm. an American, uh, the American Standards Association uh, wrote it in 1936. So... That was when the standard was written, but it wasn't the international standard. That was just the American standard in 1936. How, how much do the American standards and international standards differ? Well, at that point, a ton. It was, you know, you would have a standard in the different countries. And so it was super important for this international organization to kind of 
pick one and they would get all of the minds together and they'd have all sorts of arguments and their governments would argue over literally like there were there were laws in Italy saying like what the tuning should be and they said they would confiscate your tuning forks if they were incorrect whoa when was this so that was uh before the international standard was implemented that was uh around like verity and stuff so okay so how did we get here is the question uh, so first, let's understand just for the listeners, like what we're talking about. 440 hertz is just a vibration, right? It's a number of vibrations per second. <laughs> just a wave. And it's arbitrary, but all vibrations are. No, everything has a purpose and a meaning. Everything. Well, maybe. I don't know. But if we go backwards, uh, we go to like the monks who were singing and they had to pick a pitch. Mm-hmm. And that was like the first, like, this is what, uh, A A was just the lowest note that they would sing. And so that varies, like, literally s- singer person to singer. To yeah. yeah, and it was like, okay, so this is the one that we're starting on, and then everything's based on that note. And that's A. We're just calling it A. Um, and then uh, 1711, John Shore invented the tuning fork, and that was 423.5 hertz as A. So super low. And then the French standard was A435 hertz in the 1860s. All right, 35. And the Austrians government uh, in like 1885 recommended that as well as A435. And so they're just kind of like starting to come to a consensus. But what it, what is the number that is that is bouncing around in your head this whole conversation? A432. A432. So we're, we haven't gotten to that. At all. Uh, there's this guy, Johann Schiebler, who said A440 uh, in 1834. He invented like the tonometer. This guy was ahead of the curve. He knew. Oh, yeah, I guess so. 1834. Yeah, that's that I believe is the earliest one that I've found is of A440 as being a standard. Um, and then like in 1926, it was all but said because that was like when the American music industry started manufacturing instruments in, mm-hmm. in A440. And so at that point, like you make pianos and you do all that stuff in a 440 it's kind of set in stone unless something crazy changes. But, uh, the first like 432 that we saw was, uh, Verdi advocated for it, but there is a little bit like sometimes people call it Verdi tuning, but, uh, most of the time they're not talking about Verdi when they're talking about 432. So, uh, so, okay. Tell me what, like, what do you know about 432? It has mystic qualities. Okay. What, like, tell me everything you've heard or you think about it. Because I want to know what, like, I've just read about it for, like, weeks. So I want to oh, know what, right. what you, just, like, the commoner, but also, like, a, a music person who is, like, around this all the time. Like, what have you heard about it? That it's somehow, it's, the, the way it vibrates, it's, it's, it's somehow synchronous with, like, our cells and the universe. Uh-huh. Yeah. And these structures and that music in A432 just makes your body resonate more and can heal disease and make you feel better. These A440, it causes micro dissonances that just cause these imbalances and illnesses. That's pretty good. That's like a lot of what I've been reading. Um, Do you believe it? Oh, I want to believe it. 
So a quick YouTube search of just the number 432 uh, comes up with thousands of videos of people claiming the healing properties of this frequency and often the damaging properties of 440. A432 is a pitch standard that's way more aligned with nature. And 440 is at best a fairly ill-considered number. And at worst, it's actually really damaging to human beings and to society. Um, there been a lot of things that I've uncovered uh, uh, Amazonian uh, shamans in deep in the Amazon, uh, their voices, their healing voices that they sing um, is tuned in the 432. That's the secret, how to turn chaos into order, 432 hertz. That's the real occultic secret behind it. It's not just does it sound good or does it sound worse? No, it has a way deeper meaning than that. And they don't want you to know this in school and they don't want you to know this on mainstream YouTube from YouTubers always bashing 432 because they don't want you to manifest your inner dreams. They don't want you to know your brain is a transmitter frequency. They don't want you to know you can manifest your future and your destiny. They don't want you to understand this because if you understand frequency, you understand that you are the oscillator of the universe. So, Jerome, I know you've experimented a little bit with listening to the A-B tests of like 440 and 432 and like hearing the differences and stuff. Obviously, there's a difference. Nobody's yeah. saying that there's not a difference. But what I like, yeah, what do you believe? What do you think is not real? Well, there was I found on SoundCloud, there was this A432 orchestra, mm-hmm. a little chamber group. And their recordings sound awesome. beefy beefy that's the that's the word you would describe it hearty 432 beefy you know when people transpose because i know a lot of people took like tool albums oh mm-hmm. lateralis and a432 mm-hmm. it's cool i think it sounds great but i think it's 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 different if you're if you're artificially just taking it down versus if you were creating it so you think that if you just take a recording that was recorded at 440 and detune it, yeah. you're not getting the, the right vibrations? Nah. I think you're wrong, but for the right reasons. I'll take it. I think if you were like in, in a hall listening to an orchestra play 440 versus 432, that's mm-hmm. definitely different. Yeah. Like you're feeling the vibrations. Yeah. But if you're like listening to a recording, I feel like they're synthesized vibrations regardless. They're coming out of your speakers regardless. Mm-hmm. And like detuning them is just changing the synthesized vibrations i guess that's yeah but if you're actually like listening to the instrument yeah i, I think a live instrument that's that's the, the yeah the best experience i would be very interested especially a, like a brass instrument um or something that's a, like not amplified i think that would be very interesting have you ever done that with your horn put it in a432 i play the trombone so i could just move my slide a little bit when when i was at msm because they did A442. Ooh. They were very proud. Wait, why? I th- I'm pretty sure that's what the New York Phil does. We're A442. Oh, oh cool. Great. Now I feel, f- I feel flat all the time. Uh-huh. Exactly. And then I started, I went down just a mini rabbit hole. It's like A432. And then like pic- pictures of 
you know, like, oh, here's here's water being vibrated at A440, A432, and it creates this beautiful geometric pattern. <laughs> like, oh, oh man, yeah, I've seen this. I want that. So I just pull my tuning slide out. Forget when I go to rehearsals. So that's interesting you bring up the New York Phil because in the late 1930s, there was an international conference to like figure it out. Mm. Uh, and so the British standard was like set in 1939 at 440, but the New York Phil and the Boston Symphony, like they continued to use A442. So mm-hmm. it's very interesting. Like maybe they still are using 442. Okay, so here's the issue. <laughs> With A432? Yeah. We have gotten all the way through music history and there's one mention of A432 and it's just for a blip in Italy. Where did it come from? And when? Oh, just the recent infatuation with it? Somewhere in Eastern music, Eastern medicine? That would be the hope, right? Yeah. Please, that'd be cool. We'll learn about where this all came from. Oh, you have, you, you have answers. Oh, I have answers. Oh, yes. We're going to learn after the break. Hey everybody, so uh, if you're wondering why this podcast all of a sudden is uh, super well produced and has, uh, you know, music scored and everything sounds really good and there's a narrative, um, it's because I sometimes see some job postings that look interesting and my current job, being a content creator, allows me to apply for those jobs and really uh, take it seriously and and do it. And so I saw this job posting, uh, which was the assistant sound designer for my favorite podcast, which is called Reply All. Uh, And one of the things that they need is experience in scoring narrative projects. So film, radio, or podcasts. And I have never done that, although I feel like I would be a really good person to do that. And so I figured, well, I'm a content creator. I can create content. So uh, this podcast is literally me creating a narrative story uh, just so I can score it and then submit it for my application. So uh, that's why this is happening now. Uh, And it's been a really fun experience to like, you know, take a few weeks and dive into a topic and really do the research. And I'm really proud of what I've come up with. So uh, definitely enjoy the rest of this episode. And if you are interested, you can check out Reply All. It is my number one uh, favorite podcast, hands down. Uh, I'm sure you'll love that too. But uh, yeah, thanks again for listening. Welcome back to the show. So before the break, we were talking about 440 hertz or 440 vibrations per second being the modern tuning frequency for modern music. But we've also heard that 432 hertz for some reason, might be a more resonant frequency with the world around us. So where did that actually come from? Why are we talking about that now? Well, the whole movement can be traced back to the ramblings of an Austrian philosopher uh, named Rudolf Steiner. In the early 1900s, he said C, the pitch on a piano C, is equal to 128 hertz, uh, which equals the sun. Uh, we don't know what that means, but that's what he said. He also said the fifth, so the interval of a fifth, uh, will lead to more subjective experiences, and it will work like a magic wand conjuring up the secrets of yonder tone world from unfathomed depths. 
Again, we don't really know what that means, but a woman named Maria Reynolds was studying Steiner's work, uh, his philosophy, and published a book in 1985 called 12 True Fifths Tuning. So in 1985, Maria published this book. Now, the problem with tuning, and this is just every tuning uh, that we have in music, is if you have a starting frequency, so let's call it 10, uh, 10 hertz, and you double it, you get a perfect octave. So 10 to 20, that's an octave. 20 to 40, that's an octave. It works in ratios. And a fifth would be a 2 to 3 ratio. Uh, That's a perfect fifth interval. But the music only works in one key, that starting frequency, In modern music, we use all these different keys, and so we use what's called equal temperament tuning, which means we displace the frequencies equally among all of the pitches. So every chord transposed around to every key uh, sounds like the same chord, obviously just a little higher or a little lower. So in Maria's book, 12 True Fifths, she used Steiner's principles basing C at 128 hertz and restructuring the tuning to have a perfect 2 to 3 ratio fifth Uh, and compensating around that. With her tuning system, A would be 432 hertz. This is the first connection of 432 with New Age philosophy and music performance that had not all come together until her book in 1985. She's the earliest example of talking about all these things together. However, she's not why we're talking about it today. She's not why any of this went viral enough for musicians everywhere to know about the principle. Really? There's more? Oh yeah, there's more. Flash forward to 1992. A man named Anandam Bosman was learning of what's called the Schumann Resonance. Oh man. Do you have any idea what the Schumann Resonance is? Schumann Resonance. No, but I'm guessing he had it wrong. No, the Schumann resonance is just a, a thing that exists. Uh, it's not Schumann resonance. It's not based on. It's well. It's not the composer Schumann. Ah, uh, okay. This is Winifred Otto Schumann. Oh, Winifred, Winnie, German physicist who predicted the Schumann resonance is a series of low frequency resonances caused by lightning discharges in the atmosphere. Okay, so uh, damn that is the basis of all of the 432 stuff. This guy. Uh, It's a main one because they were basically saying like, this is the resonance of the universe. It's the resonant Mm -hmm. frequency of the electromagnetic waves in the atmosphere. That frequency they say is eight Hertz. Now here's the issue with that being the resonant frequency of the universe. (laughs) Eight Hertz is rounded. It's actually 7.83 hertz. Oh, no. So the, the, all of the arguments are like, these ratios are so beautiful and like these numbers, they make sense. And like eight is such like so much better than all of these other like, but it's not eight. We've rounded to eight. What is it? Seven so, point what? 7.83 hertz. Oh. So Ananda learns of all this. And he rounds the Schumann residence to 8 hertz. He's the one who rounds it from 7.8 up to 8, which honestly is my biggest beef with this whole thing. They're basing a very mathematical principle 
on that rounded number. If you use the correct Schumann resonance, the true ratio uh, would make A 422.82, which again means nothing, uh, but at least the math is right. The math isn't even that hard, but we like pretty numbers. So eight up to 432, uh, that's what it is. Even though, again, the literal only thing that matters is the base frequency uh, being the Schumann resonance, which is rounded. But anyway, in 1992, Ananda discovers the frequency and rounds it up to eight. And by 1999, he's begun making music using that 432 tuning. This tuning is not Maria Reynolds' alternate tuning with the fifths. It's just arriving at the, the note A being 432 hertz and then using our modern equal temperament tuning. So starting in 1999, he uh, is the first one to really start making music based around 432 hertz. He goes on this spiritual rampage uh, and starts fabricating all of these crazy claims about our bodies in the universe and connecting them to 432 hertz. Now, at this point, you might think I'm picking on Ananda because I've done all this research and I don't agree with his assessment. Uh, So I'm just going to let you decide for yourself if this is somebody who knows what they're talking about or if this is a crazy person. So this is uh, a recording of an interview he did uh, where he talks about all sorts of stuff. But in this specific example, and if you really want to, you could listen to the whole thing. I promise, I promise, I promise I'm not cherry picking a part where he sounds crazy. Uh, The entire thing is like this. It's about an hour long and it's a stream of consciousness just like this, if not worse. Uh, But this is a small portion where he's connecting his UFO sightings to the 8 hertz frequency. So when these UFOs appeared, did they, what kind of format were they, what shape, how did they move? Did they move in ways that human technology could achieve or way Um, beyond? Good question. I know where you're going. The Black World has many special special, um, programs. I've had many sightings, um, so everything from zigzag. We in dialogues we have an alphabet, and the alphabet in dialogues is after one has engaged uh, a protocol, a protocol which basically uses eight hertz as as the gate. Because in a place in Norway called Hestal, and scientists from all over the world, including Italy, um, have been measuring the uh, manifestation of UFOs. Um, so I asked Dr. Strand, "Did you get an eight hertz signal?" before the Hestel and UFO uh, materializes. And uh, he said, well, as a matter of fact, between 7.4 and 7.8, around 8 hertz, always before the the thing um, comes on, takes on plasma, uh, the uh, object moves at 30,000 miles an hour, 180 degrees. Um, Spectrum analysis shows rare earth element, scandium, only existing in that area of Norway. Um, and then they shine a, a laser at it three times. It flashes three times. So uh, those kind of things we do in dialogues. Um, and it, ser- it tends to serve plasma. So it went from plasma to solid metal. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And eight hertz was the door. So we really? use a, so yeah. Okay, course, so we yeah. use eight hertz as the protocol um, for for engaging a dialogue, mm-hmm. um, and we measure that as well with um, uh, biofeedback um, devices. Um, and we try to get these different responses, um, either with a laser or laser of coherency in the heart, which has been measured with the inner balance device of heart math. Um, so you have sustained coherence so that the seven layers of heart muscle uh, produce a toroidal cascade that's in the golden mean. So that's our friend Ananda. 
He's the pioneer of 432, but really, we have to talk about Brian T. Collins. Brian? Brian is the reason we're talking about 432. My name is Rosina Wellman, and I'm a facilitator of family and systemic constellations. And it was through this work that I met Brian T. Collins. We have both a passion for the, the ancestral lines and the work of systemic constellations very much involves the transgenerational traumas which happen within our family systems. So it was through this that I got into discussion with Brian, who introduced me to 432 Music. But another part of what Brian does, which is the ability he has, his gift, of connecting and revitalizing the ancient stones and listening to the earth and, and, and helping the earth heal. His name is Brian T. Collins, and he does this energy healing through sound, through music, which is so unique and different. If you're like me and you've done healing, you've done energy work, but nothing with actual music, you will be super intrigued by today's interview. In 2008, Brian T. Collins, he released his first album called The Frequency of Light. I could make a joke about The Frequency of Light, but uh, we're not going to do that. The music is at the standard 440 hertz, but he was certainly you know, experimenting with New Age philosophy. And then... He combines the work of Ananda and Maria, and he creates an entire culture around 432. Uh, he's doing observational research about how it made people feel. His studies are completely biased because, you know, he's the one that's putting on these studies saying, oh, don't you like this better than that one? Uh, and they're in desperate need of a control group or, you know, a placebo control at like 433 hertz. So, you know, is that really different than 432 or do you just like it because it's different from 440? But he set out to make it his life's work to advocate for 432. So by 2012, he released his first album at 432 Hertz, and by 2014, the New Age community took it and ran with it. 2014? Yeah, 2014. Isn't that crazy? Like, this stuff really hasn't been around that long, but it was about 2014 when uh, the New Age community took it and they, like, did what they do best, which is, uh, you know, find every utterance of that frequency or, in this case, you know, any fraction of the frequency, any ratio of the frequency, uh, or even just those numbers uttered anywhere in history, in any book, anytime, and, uh, you know, used it as proof that, like, this is real, because uh, how would these, you know, cases exist otherwise? So let's hear from the man himself. Uh, this is a Brian T. Collins interview uh, where he's talking about how he came up with all this stuff. And uh, let's remember that he is claiming to be uh, from the scientific side, not the spiritual side. But I'll let you be the judge of that. Uh, I was in a car accident. I was struck by a car, and it gave me an ability called clear audience. Uh, what it did do was it gave me an extra sense of ability to be able to hear into people's field. And I used to be able to sense if something was up with someone, if they were having uh, an inner problem of sorts. Uh, and so I kind of developed that over the years. 
I'm also working multidimensionally. Mm-hmm. I'm working with all different types of tool sets that I'm being able to draw upon to work somebody through and pass the blocks and past again is past the, uh, the spells of language that uh, sustain those blocks. You were, you were mentioning about chakras. Yeah. This instantly aligns all your chakras. I, I almost uh, am resistant to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. I've, I've seen miracles. I've seen yeah. literally biblical-like miracles happen right before my eyes. And I'm not going to say that it's that specifically it's just the instrument. It's, it's, it's all of everything working as a unison. It's myself working with the intent. It's the multidimensional types of tool sets I'm using. It's mm-hmm. the, and, and what the, it's transferring with the instrument. And it's also the client. When, and that's the whole thing is somebody has to be also open to it uh, yes. as well. If somebody is, again, is so resistant, uh, then it, that's going to have a play. So, uh, you know, uh, so by being able to facilitate the ancestral woundings, and then release the ancestral woundings using the, uh, the cord and then a shamanic process by, uh, you know, calling in somebody's ancestors. So that is why we're talking about 432, because all of those things, all of this music, it overlaps with our careers. We are musicians and we make music and we tune. It's a mid-2010s case of fake news infiltrating the music world. So... Why, if as musicians, we've both heard of this phenomenon and until now didn't actually know the merits of it, you know, it could have been real, why haven't we been truly experimenting with it in a professional setting? The answer is, we don't set the tuning. The oboe does. Oh, those bastards. (laughs) Right? But it's okay. Like, think of it this way. Our goal as musicians is not to be in tune with 440 hertz, which is good because we almost never actually are. Uh, What we do is tune to each other, and we make beautiful music, hopefully. The pitch relationships are important to us, not the frequencies themselves. We create tonal integrity with intervals and chords, not specific tones. I'm listening if you think a perfect fifth makes us feel a certain way. A random sine wave in the middle of the audible spectrum? Not so much. Google has this awesome feature where you can type in a search term and uh, view the interest on a timeline. And so if all of a sudden everybody's searching for Taylor Swift because she came out with a new album, you will see this huge spike in searches for Taylor Swift. So when you type in 432 hertz, we see basically nothing. All through the early 2000s, a couple little spikes uh, when people wrote these articles or the books came out. And then around 2014, when Brian T. Collins was doing most of his uh, early work, we see these huge spikes. And it's an upward uh, tick from there going straight up through present day. With a lot of this new age stuff, I think what gets kind of lost is it's new. It hasn't been around for eons like they often want you to believe. And I'm not saying that none of these things could be real. I'm just saying that... um, 
uh, sometimes the argument is that these principles are so old that they are the fabric of humanity. And uh, that's just not the case. These things have been talked about for five or six years, and that's actually it. You know, the oldest utterance of this, we said, was 1985, and it really didn't gain traction or any studies of it whatsoever until, yeah, like 2014. So just kind of keep that stuff in mind. Uh, And also try to use a little bit of common sense. While I was going down this rabbit hole, I found this, which was, I was like, okay, well, if that's like an earthly frequency that it's like, you can measure anything mm-hmm. and create this like story around it, right? No matter what. Like imagine if you, if you just had this like lucky number, like 19 and sure, if it shows up in your life, like that's kind of a coincidence. You weren't looking for it, and there it is. Imagine you go on the internet looking for the number 19 and all of the instances where it is. You'll find them. You'll find them all over the place. You'll be like, look, there's a 19 there, there's a 19 there, there's a 19 in my URL right now. Like, if you look for it. Yeah, there's one in mine too. See, you'll find it everywhere. But that's what's happened with this frequency. Is like mm-hmm. people are, are going around just trying to find this frequency or versions of it or, you know, there's so many numbers involved there because you can divide it, you can multiply it, you can find ways where it fits. Mm. Um, And they found them all. But none of them are musicians. (laughs) None of them are scientists. These are spiritual leaders who are just trying to find a resonant frequency. But again, the resonant frequency is not eight. It's 7.83. And so I, I decided I wanted to find what a more universal frequency would be. If that's an earthly frequency, I want to find the universe's frequency. Ooh, so okay. here's what I found. About 250 million light years away, at the center of a cluster of thousands of galaxies, a supermassive black hole is humming to itself in the deepest note the universe has ever heard. What? The note is B flat. <laughs> There's just, it's not anticlimactic, but it's, there's, oh, there's just something. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. It's humming. It has to be a note. Guess what it is? Yeah. B flat. B flat. Yeah. What? Are you ready, though? All right. All right. The note is B flat, about 57 octaves below middle C. What? (laughs) Which is about a million billion times deeper than the lowest frequency sound we can hear. Oh my God. That's an actual number from actual scientists. The deepest sound you've ever heard has a cycle of about one oscillation every 20th of a second. Okay. The drone of Perseus black hole has a cycle of about one oscillation every 10 million years. Oh my God. (laughs) So I'm just saying if there's a, a universal frequency. It's that. That is the frequency. <laughs> That's got to be great. That one oscillation every 10 million years. <laughs> Here <Whoa>. it comes. <laughs> so, I mean, really at that point, if you think about like, you know, like the Mythbusters when they like blow stuff up and you see like the wave come out from the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. 
that's really what it like that's more of what it is is it's that vibration because that's all like a that's all a frequency is is that vibration of like the air and so this was this giant black hole that just made this like crazy crazy oscillation but you can measure it and you can multiply that and you can find out what pitch it is and it's a b flat yeah. 57 octaves below middle C. So speaking of math, that's the other reason why people like 432, right? Is because of the simple math and you start with eight. You actually start yeah. with one and then double it to one, one, four, one, two. eight, oh, wait, 16. No, yeah, yeah. Got it. And, uh, and people like that math. Um, but the problem with that is... Uh, that math is based on seconds. Like the, the Hertz that we're talking about is oscillations per second, right? Yeah. And, uh, it's saying that like this frequency is a nicer frequency because it's a nicer number. It's a nice, even number that divides into itself. Right. But that number is based on seconds, which is our own construct. Yeah. The question is, what is a second? Because in order to come up with what the like vibration, what the frequency is, the frequency is based on seconds. Mm -hmm. And so the seconds is based on what? Because it's not Earth's rotation. Earth's rotation isn't constant enough. The second was eventually redefined as the duration of 9,192,631,770 periods of the radiation corresponding to the transition between the two hyperfine levels of the ground state of the cesium-133 atom. That's a second. There's nothing spiritual about that, right? These are very clinical. Completely arbitrary. Because the second is completely arbitrary. We just came up with this. Have I ever showed you my decimal clock? I think so. What is that one? So there's two clocks right now that I'm showing you. Uh, the, the bottom one is a 12-hour clock. So it says it's 529.52. 5 a.m., 29 minutes, 55 seconds. The top one is a decimal clock. The regular clock is 24 hours in a day, right? Yeah, yeah. Decimal clock is 10 hours in a day. Mm. Okay. Oh, I like that. It's really good. Uh, in every hour, there are 100 minutes. I, this would be amazing. In every minute, there are 100 seconds. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. It's a decimal clock. So right now, it's 5.30 a.m. or it's 2.29 and if you think about like where we are in the day, if one to 10 is your day, it's easy like, to visualize. We are 2.29% throughout the day. Mm. Yeah. So that's my decimal clock that I like on here. But if that, I mean, that is, uh, the French came up with this decimal system. That's where you came up with the metric system and all of that. And they actually came up with the decimal clock the unit of time, and a second. Here, just watch the seconds on here. You see how they don't line up all the time? Yeah. So if you based the frequency on a decimal clock, the numbers would be completely different. 
The universe does not care about time. The universe does not have seconds. We created seconds. And in fact, we not only created seconds as a way to measure frequencies and time, we standardized that unit in 1960 with ISO number 31. Of course, of course. So if you're really looking for a universal frequency, I think we should go to the universal standard for frequency, ISO number 16, 440 hertz. <laughs>